heard you struck my son. Yes, sir, I did. Yeah, may I ask why? Yeah, well, because you stole John Wick's car, sir, and uh, killed his dog. Hello and welcome, welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen, and it's a show where we talk about movies, and specifically, we talk about a movie that at least one of us on the show has never seen before. I am your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. This is episode number 69. The movie that we watched this week is John Wick, and joining me, returning after a long, too long away, is Monica. Hello, Travis. Hello. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Don't think I didn't choose this episode specifically for the oh. number. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, and also joining us, the person who had never seen John Wick before uh, is Scotty. Scotty, how you doing? I'm so excited. I didn't know this was the number. <laughs> yes. Yes. The sex number. Yes. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh your your reaction so happy. watching your reaction to that alone was worth worth having you on the show for just that alone so we're already starting off on a good mo- good note <clears throat> so you had never seen john wick at all oh. uh mostly because i had to pay for it because it's not on like any streaming service and so that was when i was like i gotta pay four dollars to watch this <laughs> nah i'm good <laughs> I've been there. I know I know that feeling. I miss it in the theaters because it came out right kind of in the middle of a stretch of years where I just I didn't go to the movie theater unless it was a tentpole thing that I knew because it was so expensive to go and it was so hard to wrangle everyone in the family to go at the time. Um, nowadays I can go, you know, theaters are all closed, but I could go to whatever I wanted. But I did see it a couple years later. Monica, you'd seen this. You said you saw it in the theater, right? Yes, it is. It's one of those things that just... It happened to be at the time, uh, what was it, back in, two, was it 2014, I think? And yeah. it just happened to be that I decided to go to the theater. I didn't have anything in mind to watch. And I was like, oh, Keanu Reeves. All right, I'll watch this. So I went to the theater, and it was this, it's this theater that's, like, independently owned in this small, rich town. And it's filled with, like, memorabilia from, like, movies and stuff. So it's, like, really, really cool just to go there in general. So I was in the theater all by myself because, you know, nobody goes there. But, um, you know, I'm sitting there and watching this movie. I just wasn't expecting what I was about to see. Right. I don't think anyone was expecting yeah, because, like, what this movie was. Keanu was Keanu was kind of a joke actor for a while there. Everyone thought he was just like the, whoa, what's up, guy? Like, they thought that was him. And then Wick came out. And th- I think this was the rise of Keanu, started with John Wick. Yeah, this was what got Keanu to be the Internet's boyfriend, right? Like, this movie really was the start of that. Because he had been around for a long time, but he was in a real downturn. After Constantine was 2005, and after Constantine, he had, um, there was the day that the earth, the the day the earth stood still, which I saw wasn't great. Um, Are we going to mention the little independent film he did, uh, you know, the one where he's like in the machine or whatever? Well, oh, that, uh, uh, didn't they make a couple of those? 
Yeah, the, the small film that happened. That, that little that little <laughs> film called The Matrix. Oh, it was the serial yeah. tie-in film. The the serial tie-in. The tricks. I'm case. sorry. There's only one Matrix. I don't know what you're talking about. Sequels. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but I mean, really, leading up to this, like he had done uh, the Lake House, which didn't do very well. Um, a Scanner Darkly was really small and didn't wasn't like a big hit or anything like that. Forty Seven Ronin was probably the most well known prior to this for a few I years, and and that did not do well either. Now I haven't seen that, and I've been hearing from some people that I should. Oh my um, god, it's amazing! You have to watch it. I shouldn't say that. I'm sorry. It's watch the movie. I I plan to watch it. Um, I actually was going to watch it when it was going to come out uh, in theaters. I didn't get around to it, and then it just sort of I forgot about it. But then John Wick hits, and it wasn't like John Wick was this huge blockbuster, but it had a small budget. It was only like a $20 million budget. It made something like, uh, what was it, um, $86 million worldwide, 40 million in the U.S. So it made, it, it made its budget back and then some, but it made enough to, to do two more sequels that have come out since then and really revitalize his career and give a career to both directors. So... For a little self-contained action movie, uh, it was pretty cool, and and I yeah, definitely want to talk about. It? So it was directed by two guys, Chad Stahelski and David Leitch or Leach, um, and I'm gonna I want to talk more about them and kind of what they've been doing, but I want to start with the cast because for us for what's basically I mean twenty million dollars in a 2014 film budget is almost nothing. It's tiny. And they got a hell of a cast for this movie. Not only Keanu Reeves, who definitely just had a career renaissance since then, but you look at some of the other um, cast members in this. Michael Nyquist, who unfortunately passed away a few years ago. Uh, He passed away in 2017. He plays Vigo. Um, He was best known prior to this for uh, the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, the Swedish versions. He played the Daniel Craig character in those. Um, but he was great. See, which care which character was Vigo? Because this is a, a film dad. where other than John, dad. Okay. Yes. Yeah, that's the dad, uh, Michael Nyquist. Okay. I like that guy. Um, I liked him a lot. I thought he was, you know, his Russian accent. I'm using in air quotes. Wasn't great. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about the Russian in this movie. But as a whole, as a character, I really liked him. He also I remembered him from Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol. He played the bad guy in that. Um, I just, I like his presence. Uh, Alfie Allen plays his son, Yosef, uh, best known as somebody in Game of Thrones. I don't, I, I need to watch that show to know who it is. I think Theron, maybe, Greyjoy? Mm-hmm. I don't know. But he plays uh, Yosef, who is just a horrible person, right? Like, Yosef is just a... through the whole movie. Can I, son, can I do swears on this podcast? Do we do swears? We'll go PG-13 swearing. So that's okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna use one of my uh, vulgars to say he's such a little shit. Yes, <laughs> he is the worst part of this film. <laughs> he absolutely is. No, I totally agree with you on that. In fact, it was funny because one of the trivia pieces I was reading about it was that the directors were looking for somebody who could look had the look of like a total prick, and they cast Alfie Allen. Yeah who looks like a complete prick. He's apparently a really nice guy, but man, does he, he can play that just entitled, you know, rich. Like he was, he, he basically grew up having everything handed to him. So he has no respect for anybody, which is his downfall. Right. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't know who John Wick is, but he doesn't respect him. And because of that, 
he gets not only himself, but bam, basically bam. everyone killed. <laughs> um, what a little piece. Well, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> I'm going to save mine for later. Okay. Uh, you got Willem Dafoe as Marcus. Um, I once read Willem Dafoe as the scariest looking nice guy, which is true. I mean, he's got yeah. a weird, I don't, I don't want to say weird, a unique face, right? Willem Dafoe really does. But um, he, I, again, he's not in the movie a ton, but he's great in every scene that he's in. He's kind of the, he, he sort of ends up being the deus ex machina for uh, John Wick. He saves him a couple of times. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's Willem Dafoe being Willem Dafoe. So he's perfect. Like I'm not, I'm never going to complain about that. He's essentially a guardian angel. Yeah. Is, for lack of a better term. Yeah. No, that's a good way to put it. He really is. Um, he only takes the, uh, the contract when he finds out it's an open contract, not exclusive. Right. As soon as he hears, oh, it's an open contract. I'm in because then he knows he can protect him. So that's kind of when if you watch it again, you'll you'll pick up on some of these other little things that I started noticing the second or third time that I saw it because I've seen this probably. I've watched three this thing six times. times. I didn't notice that. <laughs> well, anyway, <laughs> um, Dean Winters plays Avi. Now, the name Dean Winters might not mean anything to you, but uh, oh. if you've ever seen an Allstate commercial, you've seen <laughs> Dean Winters. He's mayhem. Which is all I could oh, see yeah. throughout the entire movie was mayhem. Yeah, first moment he showed up on screen, I was ready to make mayhem. I, I, the thing about Dean is I also know him through Brooklyn Nine-Nine because he was on Brooklyn Nine-Nine for a few episodes and he plays right. an I was, equally terrible person. I was thinking of Rescue Me where he's like the brother of uh, oh, yeah. Dennis Leary because like, oh, I loved I that show that. for a while. And apparently um, he was on Oz too, which yeah. is another oh, show. Yeah, I remember that. that. Oh my God, that show. <laughs> But he, so Avi as a character is pretty worthless. Like, he's just not a good dude. But what I'm trying to figure out is he's basically Vigo's right-hand man, right? Like, he's always with Vigo. How did yeah. he get to that part of the organization if he doesn't speak any Russian whatsoever and is constantly asking people to speak English around him? And apparently he's never fired a gun because his reaction to shooting the car, not even hitting John, but just shooting the car at the end, he was like, hey, that's how these things work. Like, I don't, it, it yeah. confused me. I think my note was literally, how long was Mayhem with Vigo to not know any Russian <laughs> or have any ability with a gun, but he's his right-hand man? It has That's to so be, weird. like, money. It's got to be. Um, Adrian Palicki? I kept thinking he was a lawyer oh. or something. Yeah, you know? I, like, I don't know. I don't know what his role is. I don't know what his role was because he, he coordinated everything because Vigo tells him at one point, get your team, get a team together. And he asks him, well, how many yeah. guys? Well, how many do you have? Like, so he's obviously important. I just don't know how he got that position not knowing anything. But who knows? Um, you had Adrian Palicki as Miss Perkins. Um, she did a lot of her own stunt work as well. Um, Keanu Reeves uh, did like 90% of the stunts in this are Keanu Reeves. He does almost oh, yeah. everything himself. Mm -hmm. And Adrian Palicki did basically the same thing. She did all her own stunt work. Um, and she's, you know, not, not a big, uh, role again, but she's really good at it. And she's definitely the despicable person because she doesn't have any respect for the rules either. And that's ultimately oh, this is my first time seeing her in a film. And I was immediately like taken aback of, Oh, badass. Excellent. I, yeah. I, I want to point out a note that I, that I wrote down, uh, about Perkins, uh, mm -hmm. Perkins pissed me off. <laughs> 
she yeah. just made me so angry the whole movie. Uh, well, from her, you know, what she did. Well, you know what yeah. she did. It's because she doesn't, I, I, just like Yosef, she has no respect for the rules and for the, the order of this universe that they've created, this world. And because yeah. of that, you immediately don't like her and it, it is her undoing, right? Because she broke the rules, that's what leads to her getting, you know, executed at the end. But also... Oh my god, that scene, by the way. <laughs> I was watching it first time going like, oh man, because like at this point of the film, I had kind of... Because I'm not going to say the film gets a little samey. Mm-hmm. It does. Like, like, it doesn't have a plot arc. It has a plot canon of, yeah. you know what's going to happen, boom. Um, but so she comes in and I went, oh no, there's going to be a fight with her. And then I was like, I was thinking back to uh, burn after reading. I oh, can't yeah. remember what character when they just immediately get offed randomly. Mm-hmm. I, I thought about that. I was like, I wonder if she just randomly like gets killed and then very same scene. is <laughs> yeah. the one she gets executed. Yep. Your privileges have been revoked. And Goodbye. You're <laughs> Um, I love that scene. But like I was saying, like the the, the scene where she kills the the uh, Harry, mm-hmm. she uh, she didn't have to kill him. No, you not know? at all. Like, she was handcuffed. She could have stayed there and just did it after he left because he was about to leave, and she chose to kill him. And that like that makes her such a despicable person because he's just such a a sweet uh, assassin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's a kind and gentlemanly old assassin. No, and that's really the the crux of the movie is about choices and the choices that get made that and the consequences that come out of those choices. You're right. She could have very easily just waited for him to leave, dislocated her thumb, which every time I see that in a movie, I cringe. I can't help it. Um, slipped out of the, the handcuffs and gone out about her way. But no, she had to make it a point. She, had to, she chose to take this guy out in a gruesome way. Uh, when she already, because she had already broken the rules, so she just didn't care. Yeah, I would. Um, I would like to. <laughs> I would like to take a moment and go back to the the scene you played at the beginning of oh. the uh, of the show. So yeah, I was actually getting that because um, a little bit of stunt casting was John Leguizamo as Aurelio. Um, so it's definite stunt casting because you're using John Leguizamo because he's recognizable and it's a very it's a two scene role but god he's so good i don't know why like maybe it's because so much of his career was playing like these really manic annoying crazy characters to see him being very subdued and just being this like because he's definitely middle-aged he's got a little bit of a, a gut on him you know he doesn't he doesn't look like a hardened criminal but yet you can kind of you get this presence that he has been He's awesome. And I like John Leguizamo anyway. I don't care if he's being the pest or if he's being this. Like, I like him. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he gets to be the one to deliver the news to Vigo. And that's such a great scene with the phone call. Exactly. That whole that whole scene sets you up to realize, like, oh, they just messed up. Because, mm-hmm. like, it, the film does not care what you know going into it. The film is like, I'm going to present the facts and the facts are, you killed John Wick's dog, and that's an issue. That's a big issue. So, like, I was watching it with my family, and the whole time they were going, like, okay, yeah, it's John Wick. What's the big deal? Who is it? What's John Wick? And then finally there's that awesome monologue of, like, he killed three men with 
a pencil. And that's the moment we all shut up. Like, oh, we get it. We get it. We understand. We understand. We respect you, Mr. Wick. And the whole time he's like sledgehammering up the guns. Mm-hmm. Oh, that story is my personal favorite. Like that part with the with the pencil. Because he's like, I once saw him kill three men in a bar with a pencil, with a ducking pencil. And and I don't want to go too much into it, but in the sequel, they actually tell that exact story the exact same way again. And it's just one of those lines that I just, I love in either movie. So, but, fun, uh, little, fun little bit of but, trivia. Oh. When, when John goes to that airfield to drive around all crazy um, at the beginning of the movie... He pulls up, and that guard is sitting in his truck reading, and he just opens it up for him. You know, it's that little, like, oh, yeah, you're, okay, John, go ahead and do your thing. The book that he is reading, um, I was I was doing trivia stuff on this. The He Killed Three Guys with a Pencil is actually from that novel that that uh, security guard is reading. So I thought that was kind of a cool oh, little cool. thing that they, they worked into that. Really? Yeah. Um, yeah, and what I love is, so the first like half hour of the movie is basically setting up who is John Wick and what is going to happen because it's, it's a slow build, but you get, you get the, um, you know, it, it does the, the uh, tropey opening of like, we're going to start at the end of the story, right? So it's John yeah. stumbling out of the car, bleeding, and essentially dying in front of us. And then, oh, here's what happened a few days earlier. But... I don't mind the tropiness of that because it works and it sets things up well. Then you get into, okay, so this guy, his wife dies. You're like, you don't know anything about him, but you're learning more and more as the story goes on. And that's where you get these. It's all based off of reactions and the little stories like I saw him kill three guys with a pencil or you, you know, the, the powerful mob boss is like, you hit my son. I did, sir. You want to tell me why you did that? Well, he, he killed John Wick, or he, he stole John Wick's car and killed his dog. Oh. And that's all the reaction you get, and it's perfect. I understand now. Can, yeah. Can I say, watching the movie alone in a theater, the first time that I heard that, the O, oh, I burst out laughing. All oh. these all these things just, it just it, I, I don't know, it's just like the, it's not humor, but it's just like the absurdity of these lines. Where it's just like, yeah, you see him. He stole John Wick's car and he killed his dog. And he's just like, oh. <laughs> and I ju- like, just burst out laughing. Thank God I was alone. But it was just so, oh, so many great moments, like laughing but it, like it's that. It's so perfect. Like, it tells you so much in that Maybe. one little reaction. With me, the intro to this film is perfect. Because, yes, this film is about choices. But for me, it is also like the ultimate revenge fantasy film and the opening is expertly making sure whoever you are in the audience you'll be down with what john wick is about to do it's like you like dogs oh you're gonna be happy with what john does you like cars you like your spouse whatever john wick is about to give you the ultimate revenge fantasy over the next hour yeah, basically. And and what's interesting about it is like they could have made it where his wife is the reason that he goes on the revenge thing, and they didn't, and that was a smart choice. She dies of something completely unrelated that's just in his normal life after he's gotten out of this terrible thing, which you know if she knew about, she had to have known about it, and he basically told her, like, I'm leaving that all behind. They have their life together, and then she gets sick and dies. So she gives him this puppy as a way for him to not be alone 
and within a day of getting this puppy and still grieving his wife, this little jack wagon comes into his house, steals his car, and kills the puppy. And puts the puppy I... right in front of him. No, the puppy... Wait, did you yeah. see that? Is that the, cruel, or is it just me? It's supposed to be that the puppy crawled over. That's is actually it? what oh, they were no. going for. Does it look like they is just the puppy... over there? It's sadder that it yeah, crawled. <laughs> yeah, thanks for making it sadder. Because for Sorry. me, I was dreading the opening of this film because I'm one of those people who's like, I can't watch a dog die. And they, they for a film as violent as this is, they, the dog death was like the easiest thing to take because you didn't hear, you didn't hear a, you didn't hear a gunshot, you didn't hear right. like a stomp. However, you don't know how this dog dies. All you know is like. Dog went away. Dog's dead now. Mm -hmm. It's like okay, cool, thanks. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, but that was that was like his last, as he puts it later. You know, that was his opportunity to grieve was the dog, and that was a gift from his wife. And they took that from him. And you see, like literally, he's cleaning up someone else's mess because he's cleaning up the blood stains from you know the fight he has in the dog when he yeah. when the switch goes when he flips and is like that's it they're all dead like. And then you get, you know, you get the great reaction from the, the father who, so the scene, the, basically the, the next scene with Vigo where um, Yosef comes in and he hands him the, the glass of vodka is such a good scene for setting up the plot of this movie. Because if you pay attention, like you call it the lore. yeah, so it's, it's lore and world building, but pay attention the next time you watch it. So he walks in. And Vigo picks up two glasses of vodka and hands one to his son. And his son, you know, they, they clink glasses and his son takes it and downs it all in one gulp. And then he turns around and Vigo sets his glass down, never drinks it. And then turns around and immediately punches his son in the stomach and makes him throw up the vodka. So, number one, he's punishing him physically by punching him in the stomach. He's making it hurt worse because he's throwing up vodka. That can't be great. But on top of that, if you dive into it, there's actually an article I read um, where some guy detailed all the drinking that Vigo does in the movie and what he drinks. That bottle of vodka was this super expensive, super rare type of vodka. So it's that's like some more visual storytelling of like um, him giving him this, making him throw that up. And then Vigo turns around and pours himself a different out of a different bottle of vodka to drink and start telling the story. Also, it does say a lot about Douchebag McGee yeah. that he gets this very expensive vodka. And, like, we talked about it before the show. I'm a whiskey boy. I've got a $100 whiskey behind me. Ain't no way I'm taking it like a shot. No, not You'd at all. You have to be an absolute douche nugget to take it like a shot, which he does. Yep, he does. And then you get... You get Vigo gets to tell him the stories. That's where we get uh, this. And the way he says pencil, by the way, is my favorite thing ever. <laughs> I was not expecting that. <laughs> it is. It is just. It's so great the way he says that. I don't know Next why. Next time I'm on the show, I'm just gonna say, "Hey, Travis, do you have something I could write with?" I do, in fact. Here, have this. And you can write with that. Um, but he's telling the story about him, and then he basically just tells his son, "He's like, you're not gonna do anything about this." Because you can't do anything about this. You're like he basically knows his son is already dead, and he can't stop John Wick. 
he's going to throw everything he can at it because it's his son and he's he's a father but he kind of is already reserved resigned to the fact that like it's going to either it's going to ruin me and I'm probably still going to lose my son but I'm going to try type of thing so because yeah. then he goes right into calling John to try and plead for it and and I do love that dichotomy of he's telling the story of John Wick as John is breaking through the concrete to get back to you know the the yeah. remnants of his former life and then he calls him for me. and and he's like he's essentially begging for his son's life at this point and John just doesn't say a word call. yeah so good just for me this whole thing it, this set up the film for me as Ferris Bueller for badasses is the way I describe it. Because I love Ferris Bueller because it's nothing but a charismatic dude getting away with a lot of crap that no one else would be able to get away away with just because of who he is. This film is that. It's John Wick is the Ferris Bueller but with guns. Pretty much. Pretty much. He, um, he is like, um, it's the, it's not only is it like a revenge movie, but he is just unstoppable, insurmountable, um, you know, and the whole Baba Yaga story and everything, how it's not just like, like everyone's like, oh, he's the boogeyman. And they're like, no, he's not the boogeyman. <laughs> he's the one he's you call the... to kill the boogeyman. Exactly. Wow. It's such, it, like, just it's... so great. That's even scary. Think about how scary that is. Yeah. If you I think know. But I love too. So you're right. John, John is like this singularly focused uh, force of will as, as I think he's kind of, that's basically how he's described by Vigo. And it's perfect because you really don't get any emotion out of Keanu Reeves through most of the movie. He's, he's playing this kind of almost blank slate. Except for the few one few lines scene. as well. Very few lines spoken by mm -hmm. Wick throughout the whole film. Yeah, it's very true. Um, and he, you know, he has the one the scene in the church, or af just after the church where they capture him and they're um, they're holding him. You know, they've got him tied up and all that is like the most emotion you see out of him. And then he goes right back to this just stalking boogeyman killing machine. Um, and it's yeah. it's Keanu Reeves is perfect for that. Because that's one of the things, it's his strength, I think, as a screen presence, is his ability to to convey a lot, but also like be kind of a surrogate for the audience to sort of feel what his character is feeling. You, I don't know. It's it's hard. It's hard to describe what makes him work. Sometimes he's, he's because... also a very tall, strong-looking. I'll say attractive. That's fine. Well, he Man, is. he's a, a big he's boy. A pretty he's a big boy. When he's so, on the screen, I'm just like, oh, hi, Mr. Wick. How are you? Uh, so, you know, it, it's it it's something. Yeah. It's, wow. Guess how old Keanu That's Reeves right. was when he made this movie? 46. Go ahead. 46 from Monica. Scotty? 54? 52. He was 52 ah. years old when he made this movie. He trained for, I think it was four months, five days a week, eight hours a day doing the weapons and martial arts training to do this movie. So it oh was God. his full-time job was to get ready for this movie for four months. And it shows that's how he can do 90% of his own stunts. Oh my God. All the driving he did, all the uh, gun work that he did, the reloads. And it paid off because they were able to, that allowed them to not have to shoot like a traditional action movie with a ton of coverage and quick cuts and all of this stuff. They could do these long takes 
that scene in the first fight in his house, um, when all the assassins show up, the end of it where and he takes you the guy the out. Baba Yaga song over it. Yeah. And that that end where he takes a guy out with a knife, that's a long that's like a forty second or minute long take of those two fighting in that little hallway there. Like it's amazing. I just love and so much stuff that they did uh to show how good John is, like where he's back to back on the wall and he knows somebody's on the other side of the wall. So what does he do? He ducks but shoots up, knowing that the other guy is gonna shoot where he thinks he is and stay standing. Like it's little things like that that were just so well done as far as the choreography and, and the stunt work. And you can kind of, once you know that the directors were former stuntmen themselves, it makes a lot more sense too, that they're able to really block this stuff out really well. The fighting. Me, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, no, no. Yeah. I'm going in on the fighting specifically. <laughs> this film had a very, this is a weird film to compare it to, but Baby Driver. Because in Baby Driver, every single motion matched a beat in a song. Yes. And this film was very firm on, like, if there's a gunshot, it's going to match a beat in whatever ad-ass music we're playing. We're just going to throw it in there. And it's so, like, because the danger in a film like this is if you have a lot of gunshots and you want to play, like, cool songs over it, the gunshots are going to interfere. They made sure to figure out exactly where to place each gunshot to make sure it fit with the musical theming. And that was my favorite part of the whole film was just watching the guns go off, which meant like, it's not just a matter of, oh, pull the trigger right now. It's, oh, pull the trigger now, which means the that this actor has to be here. And then that means the blood pack has to go off at this certain time. Like, so much had to go into each individual scene to get it to line up with this music. Oh, absolutely. No, it's phenomenal the way they did that. And even little things like John would, he would shoot someone to disable them and then come back to it in a second. So like he hit somebody in the leg and disable them and hold them down while he shot somebody else and turn around and finish this guy off. Like it was just this brutal efficiency that he had to his style. Um, and he used a lot of uh, Japanese judo and jiu-jitsu style martial arts as well. A lot of throws, a lot of arm throws and head throws, which I thought was really interesting when then he fights with uh, Miss Perkins later. And she's using more kind of Brazilian style jiu-jitsu. But he worked some of that in to some of his fights later on. Like, it was just phenomenal. All the stunt work in this was great. And yeah. so Probably many moments some... where I'm cringing. Sorry. Oh, I just, there's moments where like, it's visceral when he gets thrown off that uh, balcony and lands on his back, like, you know, and they do a little bit of a camera shake as he hits, like it's just so well done and so, so well blocked out. And you're right. Like it's, it's a dance that has to be done between the stunt performers and Keanu. You can tell that they've all worked together. And what were you yeah. going to say, Monica? It's probably some of the best action sequences I've seen in, uh, in an action movie. And that's, I mean, that's saying something. I do like action movies, but if I'm, like, I am a huge fan of this series. Like, really, I own, well, I own this one and the second one and the third one, eventually I will. But, like, I just, I love these movies. Like, when I'm in them, it's just, uh, it's, like, cathartic. You know, like you were saying before about the, mm -hmm. um, the revenge thing or whatever. Like, it, it is that, but it's also, like, the, like, just the ass-kicking, and can I say that? Is that all right? That's fine. <laughs> In the movie, it's just so, 
like it, it grabs you. No, it really yeah. does. And and having your main star be able to do so much of his own stunt work and having stunt team that's worked together for a while and a director or actually in this case directors who come from a stunt performer's background and have worked with these people so much you can do more in camera and you can do more long takes and you don't have to have this frenetic coverage style that got really popular with the Bourne films and kind of that mid-2000s style of action film. This really brought it back around to a lot more like steady camera placement and you can see what's going on and you know where everyone is in relation to each other and it makes it more interesting to watch and you're able to invest more in it and it shows off how much of a badass your main character is. And uh, I was wondering, because there was a film that I haven't seen. I saw a bit of it, and it was absolutely ridiculous looking. But it had the fighting style that I thought about for this film, and it's called Gun Fu. And okay. uh, it was Matrix made it popular, but then there was a film called Equilibrium mm-hmm. with uh, Christian Bale in it. And they talked about gun kata, which yeah. is like specific ways to hold guns. So that way you're also not only are you working offensively, you're working defensively. And yeah. it looked ridiculous in that film because at one point Christian Bale's just standing in the middle of some people shooting, but like weird it's it looked ridiculous but this film was able to take that concept and make it something actual good actually good by combining that thought but with actual judo actual jujitsu and make something great yeah and just keanu's ability to move with the weapons and switch realistically and and them doing things like he can he knows properly how to reload his pistol so we're gonna have that whole take like he hits a guy runs out, unloads, reloads, racks, and shoots the guy again. And it's all in one take. It's all in camera. Like, it gives – there's something about that that just feels better when you're watching it in terms of, like, this feels like I'm actually watching somebody fighting as opposed to a movie. Uh, It's less Hollywoodized at that point and more kind of realistic to see that or to see him moving along with the rifle – and then realizing I'm getting into close quarters, the rifle's not going to do me any good, drop the sling on that and pull my sidearm, use that for a little bit. You know, just his, his ability to, you saw all his training. And that's, I really just, I really appreciate that. Because it, it makes it feel more like, okay, this character is really capable of doing these things as opposed to, oh, there's the stunt guy. You know, oh, this is obviously stunt work. Um, it's all stunt work. It's just all Keanu too, so. Phelan says, I'm still waiting for the live action movie of Gunsmith Cats for great gun action. I don't know that one, so. <laughs> I mean, um, is that like cats with guns fighting? I'm assuming I'm, it's an anime I mean, of some kind. So, probably. Um, there was a couple other actors I wanted to mention we didn't, we didn't talk about. Uh, also, minor roles, but um, Ian McShane plays the character of Winston. He's the owner of the Continental. Uh, Ian oh, McShane. I love him. Ian McShane is always a win. He's he's awesome, and he gets to just have fun being like the guy that basically runs everything. Funny thing was, originally uh, that Can was going to be played that? by Jason Isaacs, and I don't know the story oh. of how Jason Isaacs ended up not doing it, but they got Ian McShane, which is in no way a step down, in my opinion. I love both of them. And I could see Jason Isaacs playing I that character. Ian McShane... I constantly forget Ian McShane's, like, 
non-American because my main source of McShane in my world was Hot Rod, where he just plays this grumpy old dad through the whole film. And then I saw him show up and like this beautiful accent come out of his mouth. I'm like, what? You're Rod's dad. Why are you here? <laughs> I also I also love the fact that he's the only one in the movie that refers to him as Jonathan as almost this like fatherly uh, approach to talking to him. And yep. that was Actually, that was a nice the only little. One. Who else calls him Jonathan? The bartenderess. She uh, calls him Jonathan. It fair. might just be the people in the hotel or something, but like Could when she be. called him that, I was like, oh. Well, okay. although the the hotel manager Lance Reddick just refers to him as Mister Wick, which by the way, Lance Reddick is the other one I love. I loved him in Fringe. A ton. So it was really cool to see him in this, and um, he's got some great one-liners and he just this presence he has about him the accent he does is pretty awful um but i think mostly that for me was jarring because i was so used to hearing his voice as just doing his straight american accent that to hear him kind of doing this almost cartoonishly british accent was was strange but i love lance reddick and then the last one i want to mention is one of uh, yosef's little henchmen was victor he's the one that gets drowned in the sink he was played by toby leonard moore I had seen, before I saw this movie, I had seen uh, the first season of Netflix's Daredevil. And he was in the first season of Daredevil as uh, James Wesley, uh, who was one of the, the head henchmen for the Kingpin in that season. And he was amazing in that. So then I see his face, and I think I watched this shortly after I'd watched Daredevil. So he was like fresh in my brain. Then I see him in this, and then he opens up his mouth, and he's got this thick Russian accent. And I was like, holy hell. Because his American accent is really good. Turns out he's an Aussie, so it's like, oh wow, he's pretty good. Uh, but I like so he's him. He's fooled us all. Yeah, twice. Um, but I like I like him again. He's somebody that I want to see in more stuff because I think he's got a good presence about him. Uh, can I bring up my favorite actor in the film that I forgot was in there, and arguably probably my favorite accent in the film. And that's a big, sexy Kevin Nash, former yes. world heavyweight champion in WWE, because we were watching and my whole family loves wrestling. And then Kevin comes up and we're like, oh, we didn't realize Kevin was in this. And then perfect Russian pours out of his mouth and we went, <laughs> Kevin trained for this. Okay, cool. Well, he didn't have Kev. to. Yeah, he didn't have to do anything physical for it. So I guess why not? Like. I love that. I love having, you know, this giant of a human being, this physically imposing figure, and then he doesn't do any stunt work whatsoever. It's great. Yeah. And, but oh, it's no, a great moment, are, too. Those because were in a series that happens in the film where it's just John talking to people that he doesn't want to kill, and it mm -hmm. makes you realize, like, oh, John's just a cool guy. And yeah, like, he's... The first one happens during the openings or during the opening fight when the police show up. John? Back in the business? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll leave you to it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's one of those. I'll leave you to it is my favorite phrase. That's one of those great moments of like, you almost want to think it's some sort of mutual respect between the two, but really what's the beat cop going to do? Like he, he just, he obviously knows yeah. there's nothing that I can do here. So it's more or less people call it a noise complaint. I'm going to show up. It's just great. It's like, Hey John, Hey Jimmy, get a noise complaint. Yeah. All right, you have a good night. I'm going to leave now. Um, yeah, he... Uh, and then, uh, same thing happens with uh, with Kevin. Walks up. 
John, why don't you take the night off? I think I'll do that. <laughs> and it walks away. <laughs> I love it too, because that's another one of those, like, it's storytelling shorthand, right? You got this big, huge guy that you know, you just know if he's working, doing what he's doing, like this guy can take care of himself. And he's thanking John for not engaging in a fight with him. So, like, that's, it's a yeah. quick way to figure out just how badass John Wick is. Um, yeah, I, I, I honestly, thought that was awesome seeing him. I, I honestly kind of consider this film to be, it is John Wick. It's about John Wick, but, like, John almost just feels like a force of nature. John does not mm -hmm. feel like a character. It feels like John knows what John wants to do, and then everyone else in the film, it's interesting to watch them as they have to deal with it. Yeah, it's he set his sight on something, and nothing's stopping him. It's just, uh, are you going to get in the way or or not? <laughs> exactly, um, there was... so it's almost like... Why Why did the father try to stop him at all? Like, because he knew what was going to happen, but he still, like, tried to put this contract out on him. Hubris. And it's just like, dude, come on. Yeah, it's it's all hubris. It's it's basically Vigo. Vigo has become as powerful as he is in part because of John, but he's still, like, he. number one, it's his son. He's got to, he feels like he needs to protect his son. And number two, he just thinks that he can be the one that could stop John somehow like if he throws enough stuff at him he can do it now what what you notice is throughout the movie he gets more and more unhinged right so he starts off the movie he's slowly sipping his vodka and then he has when he's singing the baba yaga song and he's drinking that bottle of scotch by the time he's realized i can't stop anything and gives up his son he's rolling a joint and getting as high as he possibly can and then yeah. the final scene of the movie he's in the limo as they're going to the helicopter, and he's just, he's gone. He is shit-faced at that point. He's like, where are my cigarettes? He's just drinking whatever's in his hand, and he's giggling when the car is getting hit by stuff. Like, he just slowly unravels throughout the movie. So I think it's, he kind of is plays the foil to John, because at <laughs> the end of the day, they are both characters kind of seeking revenge. Him for his son, John for everything mm. and it kind of shows like the danger you could go down when seek like that old adage the man who seeks revenge should dig two graves yes. um in that case john john knows if i go off the deep end if i go too maniacal i could die whereas in his case he's just like all i want's the revenge all i want's john wick to be dead I can't, this isn't my voice in the film, but whatever. It's like, it's just him going off the deep end and seeking revenge. I mean, yeah. and John's lost everything at this point. Yeah, and John has nothing yeah. else to lose, so he's just going to go for it, right? And mm -hmm. especially when then he finds out that Marcus gets killed. Like, because he goes through all this, he has that little moment with Marcus, and then they part ways. He's done, he's on his way out of town. And then he gets the call from Vigo, and Vigo's like, yeah, so Marcus uh, was helping you out, and yeah, I killed him. And immediately pulls a U-turn, and it's like, that's it's over now. Um, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. There were two other small parts of actors that I love I wanted to mention. One was the doctor, um, played oh, by Randall, doctor. Randall Duck Kim, uh, best known probably as the voice of Oogway in the Kung Fu Panda movies. He was also the key okay. master in... Um, uh, the Matrix, but he—I love his like his one little scene where he's stitching up John, and 
John's like, so what do I, what have I got for movement? And he's like, well, if you want to heal as little as you can, but if you have business to attend to, take two of these, your stitches are going to rip, you're going to bleed, but you'll have full function. It's just like, he's just got this defeated attitude of like, whatever, you're going to do what you want to do anyway. What am I even here? I'm, I'll stitch you up and these will be gone in an, you know, an hour. Uh, yeah. But he's just, he's so uh, defeated and put upon, but I love him. He was also Grandpa Gohan <laughs> in Dragon Ball, by the way. I was going to say, when are you going to watch the sequels? I'm going to. All right. My favorite he's line. In, he's in there. Oh, I'm sure. My, my favorite line from that was still like, do you need anything for pain? And yeah. John goes, <laughs> I've already got this. And it was just because the whiskey nerd in me knew that's a real good brand of whiskey they were drinking. They were had some, like, the minute the bottle came on, me and my dad both at once went, Blanton's. Yep. <laughs> like, yeah, go, John. I know nothing about whiskey. Um, and the other one was uh, the guy, so after John takes out all the assassins that come to his house, he makes a phone call. And again, this is some of that world building where, he just makes a phone call and says, hey, I need dinner reservations for 12. And then hangs up, and the cleaning crew shows up. Like, A, that's some awesome shorthand world building. Like, little things that they did like that, and the gold coins to pay for things and all. Then the character of Charlie shows up, and it's David Patrick Kelly. Now, David Patrick Kelly, I know mostly from two things. I know him from The Crow, because he played T-Bird in The Crow. And I love that movie. And for this. Warriors, come out to play. That's probably the thing he is most known for, is that. I, uh, I have never seen either of those movies. <laughs> you haven't seen The Crow? Like... Yeah, oh, or The all Warriors. Right, well, we'll have to have you back oh, for The Crow. The Crow is killer. Yeah, I had, a, I had an ex who loved The Crow and just... But David Patrick reason, Kelly, I ended up watching it. yeah, David Patrick Kelly is one of those uh, actors who I always see in a you know supporting role, or he'll have like a cameo role, or he'll show up on a TV series for one episode. But he's always awesome; like he's just always great in in everything, and it's memorable. And I I don't know if it's because his voice or the fact that he's a tiny little person, because he was in uh, Commando. He's the one. He's Sully. Uh, he's the one that Arnold says, you know, you know how I said I'd kill you last. I lied and drops him off the cliff. But he's like five foot nothing. And standing next to Arnold, who, you know, Arnold's six foot, six foot one, maybe back then. Um, but it's just I just love. Well, he's not as tall as he used to be. That happens. Um, but yeah, I just I, I love David I, Patrick Kelly. So, so I had to I had to mention it. I like how you, how you have to talk me out of laughing. <laughs> Like, no, um, that's not funny. You stop it. Well, no, it's still funny. But but overall, like, it's it's just a solid cast all the way through. To put actors of the caliber of Willem Dafoe, of Ian McShane, in these roles gives them more weight, and it helps to build. Because they did a lot of, like, simple world building in this that wasn't all exposition. Um, even a little thing, like when John first gets to the hotel and he puts the gold coin down, and you see um, the hotel manager pick up the gold coin and put it in his pocket, which I thought was interesting. Like, he doesn't put it – it's not part of the hotel. It's That's paid directly to him. He puts it in his pocket. Um, and that ends up paying off later because he's, you know, he's in the good graces of the hotel. Uh, by the way, the hotel, the, the establishing shot of it, the, I love that building. 
the Flatiron Building, that triangular-shaped one in New York that gets used in just about any movie set in New York. Yeah, it was the Daily Bugle, too, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the Daily Bugle. Um, it was in Usual Suspects. I actually walked past it when I was in New York last December. Um, I made my way down there and kind of walked around that building just because it's such a cool-looking building. So I love yeah. the fact that they use that for so the, cool the continental. So many cool-looking buildings in New York. That's <laughs> true. It's very, very true. Um, so, yeah, I, just a good cast. Now, I had mentioned that there were two directors for this. Um, the two, two directors, Chad Stahelski and David Leach. I know I'm not pronouncing it right. It's L-E-I-T-C-H. I've heard Leach. I've heard Leitch. They both got started as stunt coordinators, stunt actors. Um, Chad Stahelski was actually Keanu Reeves' stunt double. Um, all the way back to, uh, or maybe it was David Leach that was. Um, no, David Leach was actually a stunt coordinator for Seventh Heaven, of all things. Um, but he, uh, wait, 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 we need to talk about this. I, what yeah, stunts I, were they doing? I don't Seventh know. Heaven? I really don't know, but I know. Church stunts? <laughs> must have been. Must have been. I don't understand. But he did stunt work in Blade, um, Fight Club. He was Brad Pitt's stunt double. Um, he was in uh, The Mexican, um, The Score. He did some stunt work for Scrubs. They had a little bit of stunt work in that, I guess. Uh, Daredevil, Matrix Reloaded, um, all sorts of stuff. So he's been a stunt coordinator and a stuntman uh, for a long time. 82 stunt credits, actually. Uh, this was his directorial debut. Um, Chad Stahelski, same kind of deal. He's got 70-something stunt credits. Uh, he was he was stunt double for um, for Neo in uh, The Matrix. He was in Wild Wild West, Ghost of Mars, all that kind of stuff. This was his directorial debut. Only one of them actually got a credit as director, and that's because of the Directors Guild of America only allowing one credit per movie. Um you the, can sometimes get an exception. The laws of the guilds are ridiculous. Yes. And occasionally you get exceptions to it. They weren't able to. So what they did was they gave Chad Stahelski the director's credit and David Leach the producer's credit. But they, they both directed. They both produced. And Stahelski voluntarily said, don't, don't yeah. credit me as a producer. That way they both got a, their own separate thing. But it was a, it was a team effort. Now, they've gone on to... Um, Stahelski did John Wick 2 and John Wick 3, um, and he's working on apparently a John Wick 4. Oh, but hell he's yeah. Al he's also um, working on, and I just read an article about this last week, a reboot of Highlander. So, And he says Woo! that it is still in its it – ha he hasn't given up on it yet. They're still working on it, still working out details for it. Monica knows how much I like Highlander. I have another show dedicated to Highlander the series that I do uh, weekly on Monday nights. I love it that you? much. Highlander? Yeah, yeah, I know. Weird, huh? Yeah, I just I don't know if they'll make it I'll, if they'll do a reboot. I mean, there can be only one. <laughs> yeah. Except there's a sequel. Except there's five so far. There's a terrible well, sequel. Okay, there's four so far. I don't I don't count the fifth one. Um No, I I am actually excited for that because number one, I'm really interested to see his visual style of directing in the Highlander universe. And I want to see an updated, um, an updated version of Highlander a reboot like that with some more modern technology, because really the last true concurrent setting Highlander thing we got was 
Highlander Endgame, which was in 2000. So it's been 20 years. With the prevalence of smartphones and cameras and and all the, the technological advances we've had in the last 20 years, I'm really curious to see how they can do a story like Highlander set in a world like ours, which is bathed in... Uh, you know, cameras and video feeds and all of this and how somebody could survive for however long it is and nobody know that they're immortal. So I'm really interested in that. And that's that's coming up from him. Um, Rooster Bat is wondering where I read that. I'll, I'll find the article and I'll send it to you because um, he definitely said, he's like, look, we're in the middle of the pandemic, but we're still working on Highlander. And he's apparently working on John, uh, John Wick Chapter 4 as well. Um, and some TV stuff. One that I'd never heard of before called Sandman Slim is one that is announced with him. I guess that's a movie. Um, so, yeah, that's so coming up. So here's the thing. Yeah. If I was immortal, mm-hmm. I would keep traveling from town to town, city, country, whatever. I would keep moving. Yeah. I would never stay in one place more than, like, I don't know, like 20 years or something. I think that's the way to do it. It is. Would you fake a death in each land, though? I just leave. Because I'm always going to look, I assume, my age. Yeah, right. but that's why I think I would have to fake my death. That <laughs> way, now I am the Baba Yaga going from town to town. Well, if you if you <laughs> haven't seen the original Highlander movie, what he did was um, he would fake his death and then assume the identity of... Uh, a child that was stillborn and take that identity and that name and move through the years that way. So, Oh yeah. I forgot about that part. <laughs> a little grim, no big a little, deal. A little grim, but basically he would find like, <laughs> he would find the birth and death records and he would find a kid, you know, somebody that had died in childbirth and he would assume which... that identity. Oh man. Oh, which babies are dead? Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a little, that's a little... The Highlander story. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? After 450 some odd years, do you really care anymore? I mean, birth and death is kind of something you've seen a lot of at that point. See, but you go either one of two ways when you're immortal. Either you go like nothing matters, or you go the other way where everything does. So True. I like to think that everything to me would matter because I get to see it all. And I'd be like all emotional and picking flowers and stuff. Well, I'll tell you what, in a couple of hundred years, when you're still alive, you can tell us how it's going. Yeah, well. Um, so David Leach, uh, I'm going to just pronounce it wrong every time, so just get used to that. But he went on, after this movie, to direct Atomic Blonde. Yes! Uh, I love Deadpool, that movie. Deadpool 2 was David Leach as well. I also love that movie. And Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. So, okay. Yes! Oh, you seem this excited. movie. <laughs> yes. So I haven't seen any of the Fast and Furious except for Tokyo Drift. For whatever reason, I don't know why that's the one I've seen, but it is. Oh no, 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 dog! I have not seen a single Fast and the Furious film. But the minute I saw old Dwayne come up with his own film, I was like, "Yeah, Hobson shot up." Yep. Uh, Phelan is with you. Uh, she says three for three on those. So he's definitely. Um, He's made some some action movies. I mean, I love Deadpool too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My uh, my quick pitch for Hobbs and Shaw is the Rock flies a kite, but the kite is a helicopter and the string is trucks. That's all you need to know to want to watch Hobbs and Shaw. Yeah, I mean okay, that's I that's really all you need. 
that I, I do need to sit down and just shut my brain off and watch that movie. Like, don't think. Because my problem with the Fast and Furious movies was after the I saw the first one, and I was like, okay, it's a movie. I kept seeing stuff on the preceding, on all the sequels. And it was one of those where I'm like, how much suspension of disbelief do I have in me that I can keep watching this? When I watched a breakdown of the, the runway chase at the end of, I think it's Fast Five, where somebody did the math. And based on how long the scene is and how fast they're traveling in the plane, the runway needed to be like 250 miles long or something like that because of how, how much time <laughs> they spent. It was something ridiculous. Or it was like it was like 10 miles of runway or something. But it was just, I'm like, oh, man, do I have enough suspension of disbelief to, to enjoy these movies? But I think at a certain point, you just it's it's gone way past 11. And Hobbs and Shaw is that. If he's flying, if the kite is a helicopter and the string is trucks, you have my interest. <laughs> yes. It's just, I love I love Buckwild films, and Hobbs and Shaw is most certainly that. And then if you get a bunch of uh, Jason Statham and The Rock talking crap about each other, <laughs> oh, I'm in. I'm, I'm right there. Yeah, you, you're, you're not wrong. Plus, it's got Idris Elba, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah who plays the absolute antithesis of everything that film is. Cause the film is goofy and weird and crazy. And Idris is very just, I'm Idris Elba. I'm a cybernetic human being and I want to kill everybody. That's <laughs> like, actually okay. probably. I like it because... No, sh shut up. <laughs> uh, I, I like it because it, this was the first time also I saw a film in that genre uh, this is still a John Wick podcast, by the way. Uh, this, this is the first time I saw a film in that genre, an action film where they were like, all right, and at the end, we're not using guns. None <laughs> of the good guys use guns at the end of that film. And I was like, yeah, I can get behind that. It's interesting. Well, okay, so I can bring that back to John Wick then with the final fight in this, right? Because he's oh, he's, been, he's been mowing people down throughout the whole movie with predominantly pistol and that rifle. Um, a few a few kills with with his bare hands and a knife, but at the end, they have their like, you know, good versus evil battle on the cliffside in the rain type thing. And yeah. he even says like no guns, and he throws his gun away. And I like that they do all that, and they kind of give this build up, and then the fight is super short because obviously John is just going to destroy Vigo. Like Vigo is not a physical match for him at all. I guess there was yeah. originally a cut of that scene that was longer then the directors were like, you know what? Uh, this doesn't work. He shouldn't be physically imposing to John at all. John should just kick his ass and it'd be over. And so well, then I Vigo, will, he has to resort we, to, we've, we've he has to resort to the knife though. He has to, he has to almost cheat. Yeah. I will say we have skipped past uh, a part. The only part of the film that I felt that was unsatisfying is the death of douche nugget. Cause oh, that was just, that's a where I was going. Pop, and then it's done. <laughs> It was so, it was so quick. It was just like, we've been waiting this whole movie for you to kill Douche Nugget, as you said. And like, and you get to it and it's just like, I didn't have a, that's it. True. But at the same time, it's very on brand for this movie. And it's very, it's exactly what John yeah. would do. Like he's just that, cause that scene is the least choreographed um, action sequence in the whole movie. Like John is. John is in complete control of that entire situation from beginning to end. He fires 
So there's an infographic somebody made of the kill count of this movie for John Wick. And that scene, it is he fires seven rounds, he kills six people, and he, he hits with seven rounds. That's it. So, like, that whole scene was kind of anticlimactic in that sense because it's just him methodically moving through, taking out everybody, blowing up some vehicles, and then the shot of him when he does get Yosef is awesome because it's Yosef running frantically, and you just see you see John come around the corner and just stalking towards him, shoots him once, knocks him down, and he never stops moving, gets up to him, doesn't even let, doesn't need a one-liner, doesn't need any of your your Hollywood tropes as far as like, here's the big bad guy and here's me getting my revenge. He just walks up to him, shoots him and walks away. So I get from like a, from your traditional action movie stance, like it is very, it's very much a letdown, but it's perfect for who John Wick is. So I kind of, I I kind of like that that better. I'm thinking of, this is one of those films that like, there's, there's multiple layers of like if you think about it a little bit it's not that good then if you keep thinking you're like oh it's really good because the intro to that scene has them playing a video game it's nothing but bullet hell madness chaos but yep. basically what we're programmed to want mm-hmm. and then the film goes no no that's not how it would have actually happened it actually happened like this boom 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 you're dead yep exactly also a fun little easter egg if you watch it again if you pause it on the screen where it's showing his video game, his character name is Neo. I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> That's adorable. Come on. Yeah. Like, imagine, like, that guy who did that probably was like, I love, I love Keanu Reeves, and I'm going <laughs> to name my character Neo. Yeah, That's it was awesome. That's so sweet. So, no, I like that. Yeah, no, I, I overall, like, it's interesting because each action sequence, and I talked, I've talked about this in other other episodes of the show where we've done action movies. Each one has its own feel, not only rhythmically but visually too. If you um, when you wa- watch it again and pay attention to the color palette that they use, because you get a lot of John is always in blues and uh, like blue and green, and then you get when he goes to the red circle um, nightclub. And there's there's shots where he will somebody will move from red light to blue light and then get killed by John or John will move from red from blue into red. And he has a trouble. He has trouble with the fight and it takes longer than it should have or he gets shot and it becomes purple and just all sorts of stuff like that. Like the color use in this is really great. And then there's the scene in the bar at the Continental where it's all four colors. There's reds and blues and yellows and greens all over because it's it's everybody. Um it's just really cool the way that they do stuff like that. And you get uh, Marcus's character is almost always getting backlit and has almost like a halo glow. You mentioned him being a, a guardian angel. So it kind of fits with that. Oh, yeah. Um, there's just little things like that that I think it's – it's. you're right. This is a movie that on its surface is just a dumb action movie. But the more you think about it, the more like there's, there's some substance here that's really cool. The um, way I described it in my notes is this is a passive film. Like, when I studied music, they were like, oh, there are active pieces of music that you have to really pay attention to in every single bit. And then there are passive stuff, which is like ACDC, just play it in the background. This film is perfect to put on in the background of a party. Because you can just walk away, then come back and be like, oh, cool, he's at the bar now. 
and then yep. come back. And like, but anytime you come back, you're not confused. You're just right. like, this is awesome. This is a very, very good moment. And uh, I know earlier I said it was kind of guilty of not having an arc. I made that note right before because you you talked about the film being about choices and the consequences of it the biggest narrative arc of the whole film comes from when john finally gets sat down and it is of course the greatest scene which is the i'm thinking i'm back like that scene but when he's looking at him and he goes your wife died because of the life you chose that was the moment i went oh okay all right yeah yeah no (laughs) now the film's hooked to me because that was the moment of and it's perfect manipulation because that's obviously not why she died she had a disease or whatever but it's perfect manipulation for the people in that world to say you can't leave you can't leave you can't leave look what happens when you leave even though that's it's like just perfect mental manipulation playing in that one moment oh absolutely um i don't know if anybody is familiar with movies with mikey and mikey newman but if you are if you're not, you should oh. you should be watching that series first of all. But his breakdown of John Wick is just perfect. He actually goes into um, equating it to a bunch of uh, Greek mythology, and um, he has uh, he talks about uh, Zeus and Apollo and Ares and all of that, and kind of analogs. It's not a perfect one to one, but it's a really watch watch that video. It's about twenty something minutes long, and it's worth every second of it. Movies with Mikey is great in general. I mean, if you're into film at all watch his stuff because that dude is just next level um and what he can do but his uh his i think his john wick was one of the first ones of his i saw or it's one of the first ones that i really vividly remember um and then i fell head first down the rabbit hole of all of his stuff but it's definitely a great breakdown of it, it goes into even more i think it was just scott pilgrim was the first one of oh that was that that's watched. a good one too um yeah, so it's a great breakdown of John Wick, and it goes into more detail about like kind of some of the stuff that I've started to touch on. Um, but it's this movie is worth watching again. It really is. If, if yeah. I mean, for having seen it your first time, like watch it again. And you're right in that it's that perfect kind of background noise movie where you can have it on, you can walk away from it, you can come back, you can have it on while you're working on something. And anytime you look up, you're going to, you're not going to be confused what part of the movie it is. And you can just take that bit and then move on. But if you do really watch it and really pay attention to it, it has those layers and you're going to get more every time you watch it and the world building. I can't wait to watch the sequels because I keep hearing that they go even more into it. Um, Oh, I can't wait for you to watch the sequels. I will. You will be the first person I talk to afterwards. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, can, can I ask a question about the sequel? Because I don't no. know if I can deal. No, I just need to know this. <laughs> Go ahead. Because at the end of the film, the ultimate feel-good moment, he gets a new doggy. Puppy! Now, now, does doggy survive in the second one? Or is this nothing but a series of John Wick getting new dogs <laughs> that all die and look, then immediately and has to like, avenge them? Look, do you want spoilers? <laughs> no doggy no okay at least no. this dog's not as cute is this gonna stop you <laughs> their dogs aren't cute is, is this gonna stop you from watching the movie if they die i don't know i'm still i would have to pay four dollars for it still so i mean like that's already a big thing in my way 
Actually, no, no. Getting to see a, a re another go at the pencil, the pencil scene. Actually, I think I'd probably still watch it. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna tell you, the dog does not die. Yeah. Well, that I've seen. keep that ugly ass dog. Hell yeah. So <laughs> one, leave the dog alone. one really cool thing about this too, when you watch it again, check for this. When he gets the dog, the paperwork right next to the dog's pen, that dog was scheduled for euthanization. So he was he rescued a dog that was going to get put down, too. So like, and, and again, that's, like that's that layer. Why are you telling us sad things? I want to no, cry it's, now. No, it's a good thing because he kept the dog from getting. I know it's getting... a good thing, but it's sad because they were going to kill his puppy, and then he would have had to kill the people in the shelter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but just I mean. Look, I like you... looking down at chat and they're just saying, like, watch all three of them. Watch it. The dog doesn't die. It's okay. <laughs> Some Jeez, chat's chat trying to make me feel better. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's our chat for you. I mean, it's they I know a lot of people in the chat that love this movie. So this one, uh, when I mentioned that I was doing this, uh, I got a lot of positive feedback and it's great. And it gave me an excuse to watch it again because I it's just it's good. If you haven't seen it, one, what are you doing listening to us? Stop. Go go watch the movie and then come back. But two, like watch it again cuz you're going to you're going to notice some things you might not have noticed the first time. It, let me let me point this out. Never tell your audience not to watch you even if they haven't watched the movie. Cuz like no, no, no. I, I will back. listen to Film Sack. I will listen to Film Sack if I have not watched a movie and it will make me watch the movie. That's true. And I actually, will be honest, we did not spoil that much of the film. No, not I mean, really. I, the film does set up John Wick avenges a dead dog. And we were like, yeah, he does that. that he does almost a, all the spoilers we gave. A lot of that is what he does. I mean, we knew he was going to kick ass, and he kicked ass. <laughs> Boy, did he. Um, yeah, I mean, that's John Wick. Like, I'm Scotty, I'm really happy that you came on and, and I got to get you to watch this movie even if it cost you four bucks um you know is is money well spent is what that was uh for what it's worth i just spent four dollars reason why not just because i was doing this show but the other reason why is i got an oculus quest when uh quarantine happened Mm. and i got this game called pistol whip oh it is john wick the video game (laughs) it's nothing but like this loud edm bass and you have to shoot bad guys to the beat of the music and i went there's a movie like this i'm in (laughs) that's awesome uh i don't think i played i no i haven't played that one um i might have to check that one out monica was the four dollars to rent it or to buy it the four dollars was it to was rent it. to rent it. It was to rent what? it, and yes, chat, it was what? worth it. <laughs> you should have bought it. Well, I that's like I, five more four dollars. That's not just four dollars. That's five four dollars. I would have had to spend then. I, I, you know how many movies I bought for this show alone? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, two. what's funny is I actually had it. I had a DVD copy of it. I put it on my Plex server. Something got messed up doing that, and so it was it was actually out of order. And it like it didn't it wanted, didn't want to play the first five minutes of the movie or something, and I couldn't find my DVD copy anywhere uh, since I just moved into this house a couple months ago. So I was like, all right, well, I've got you know Google Play credit, I can rent it on YouTube for for. So it wasn't any, it wasn't four dollars out of my pocket, but um, I, I'm gonna have to rebuy it because I, it's a good movie, and I have the sequels. Or I have I have two, so I'm gonna be watching that. Three is was on HBO Go. That's how I saw it when it first came out. 
Um, I, I'll buy it when it's no longer free. I'll just, you know, soak yeah. it up for now. But HBO, if you have HBO, I think whatever. Two was on Netflix or something like that. Like, At I one point, I, it was. I, not right one now. Was the I don't think. I Maybe find. it could be. Okay. I bought it like about two months ago. I had a weekend where I sat there and I went. Mind you, I've seen all three of them in the theater. Uh, but I, you know, I bought the first one and the second one, and then uh, I watched all three in a weekend. It was the best weekend ever. That would be a pretty good weekend. I might no have like serious love for that. Like especially because of this movie is why I'm like Atomic Blonde was you know another movie that I loved, even though I think I don't think anyone else did. But it was I love that movie. Oh, I'm pretty sure Phelan in the chat liked uh, Atomic Blonde. Just anybody kicking ass, come on. I can like, put hard money down on in that. clever ways. And yep, she responded. I did. See. Um <laughs> awesome. Well, hey, Same. I want to thank both of you for being on this week. This was a fun one. Uh it was a fun movie to watch again and it was a fun <laughs> one to talk about. Uh I just love the discussion um and Scotty your reactions to stuff were were great. Um finding out that Kevin Nash was in this and then that uh <laughs> David David Leach directed Hobbs and Shaw like which I didn't know prior to <laughs> today. So that was new for me too. Um, but yeah, I want to thank both of you guys for coming on. This was a ton of fun. Uh, you're both welcome back anytime. So, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Monica, we're like gonna Scotty we're gonna have, have you. like a special window on every episode where <laughs> you just see his reaction to things, and that's it. Like, just, wait, can we do like a reversey? Like you guys watch Hobbs and Shaw, and I get to come on and be the host. <laughs> oh. like, well, no, that's that we can do that. Honestly, I'm um, willing to do it. <laughs> I just have well, to find you, it somewhere. You're going to be coming on for the crow. Sorry, you've already uh, tipped your hand oh, there. Shit. Oh yeah, the crow was the other one. Yeah, because the crow is a movie that means a lot to me, just based on when it came out <laughs> and how old I was when yeah. it came out. So, but the fact that you haven't seen that yet, and it, I think it's one you're going to like. I hope, but I guess we'll find the out. The crow to me is in those same like the same type of films like Scarface and Fight Club, where it's a great film. Then there are people who like it a little too much, and I'm yes. like, uh-uh. no, 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 mm-hmm. no, 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 stop. Yeah, exactly. I like um, if you are listening to the show for the first time, uh, we do record Sunday nights, twitch.tv forward slash TV's Travis, um, 8 p.m. Sunday nights. Uh, Monica doesn't like the 8 p.m. Sunday night, but I'm sorry, that's just the time <laughs> slot I've got. Um, I also Can have a show. I. I have a show I mentioned earlier. It's called Let's Watch Highlander. Uh, it's where me and uh, my friend Audie Norman are going through Highlander the series episode by episode. Um, we are two episodes in. We are off this week uh, as Audie's out of town, but we are uh, going to be on the third episode of it. I love the series of Highlander. It's so cheeseball. Um, it's great. It's 90s TV. That's all you need to know. 90s hour-long drama. Um and uh, yeah, I mean, we're this show is available on all the podcasting platforms. So um, anything, uh, any anywhere that you do podcasts, you can find this show. Now, Scotty, have you got any projects or anything that you want to talk about? Oh man, so many! I do seven podcasts. You can find them all at a load of purebs.com. I'm working on a brand new project that I've not talked about with anybody yet, but it is basically going to fulfill all of my podcasting dreams so if you want to keep hearing about that find me on twitter at scotty mo and if you have a podcast let me on it because i'm trying to break the world record for most podcast appearances by a single individual in a single year i'm up to 145 i think right now so like i come on let let your boy on 
<laughs> That's impressive. 145 different shows. Oof. I'm tired just thinking about that. Now I feel less impressive going next. <laughs> well, Monica, Thanks, what have you Scotty. what have you got work you're working on? Uh, if you like D&D, I'm on a little D&D podcast called Feats of Fellowship. It's over on the Spazbot Studios network of podcasts and we stream it live every other Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. And uh yeah, that's this Tuesday, so you know, check it out or whatever. Uh, it's my first time playing D and D, so I'm a complete moron, and uh, it's really funny. Oh, but it's fun. I like watching those. Yeah. Well, once again, thank you both. Um, this has been a ton of fun. Now, next week, uh, I gotta find my notes here. Where? Because I have. Uh, what is it? It's a good one next week. Um, oh, next week is Idiocracy which I have not seen before or no, I'm sorry. I have seen, I, I saw it. I saw it a few years ago. Um, it's been a while, but uh, Adam of Geekheim is going to come on and talk to me about that one because he has never seen it. So that'll be next Sunday idiocracy. And after that, I get to watch for the first time ever unforgiven um, two weeks from now with uh, Gerald Morris from two peas on a podcast. He, he, it's one of his favorite movies. So that's what's coming up uh, the next couple weeks here on uh, Wait You Haven't Seen. So, well, that's going to wrap it up for tonight. Uh, thanks again to both of you. Um, everybody get out and enjoy your movies. And in weird times that we've got going on right now, be excellent to each other. Sorry to say that no one's that good. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> <laughs>